We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the squad. Oh, now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to episode two of the 2016 Florida Gator football season. This is the Gator Nation football podcast. I'm James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. This is UMass week, which means it's game week, which means it's the start of the season. Alan, I know I'm super excited. I think all the Gator fans out there are super excited. Football fans are excited. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about this year's opener? Ultimate excitement. No, I don't know. It's, it's good that it's game week. I'm glad to be talking about an upcoming football game. There was that game in Australia. I don't know if that counted because it didn't happen on the North American continent. But we've got football this weekend and a lot of it. I'm really pumped. Yeah, it's always funny to ask anyone that's a football fan that question. It's like so cliche. I'm so excited. But in reality, I found myself as I've continued to prep and do this podcast to be more and more excited about seeing what exactly this team is going to look like. we got a great show for you today. Uh, before I tell you what's on tap, I'm going to tell you that we had a just disastrous day with our microphone. We have what's called a Blue Yeti microphone. It's an incredible piece of equipment, and it just quit on us today. It did not want to be a part of 2016. Thankfully, we are borrowing a friend's microphone. However, it's not meant for two people, so both of us are here in Studio B just shifting our heads in and out. I'm glad there's no video link or a live a live feed because it's quite the Cirque de Soleil-like movement. But if you hear any sort of distortion or if we sound far away or really close, it's basically because we're trying to do the best we can with just this episode only with regards to our microphone. Future weeks will be back to normal, so bear with us. And with that, let's dive right in to what is going to be a great show. We're going to open you up talking about the latest news in the team, who we think some of the breakout players are, who some of the hype guys are, some of the offensive and defensive predictions uh, based upon statistics. And then we're going to have a few great guests, Shane Matthews, and then head coach later on in the show, 
Uh, Mark Whipple of UMass will be joining us. So we've got a lot of good stuff today. Looking forward to getting into it. And Alan, why don't you begin with the key news of the day? Big news for Gator fans. Antonio Callaway cleared to play this week. It feels like every week's a mystery. There's always some kind of like, well, we're not sure. Can't really say. Looks like he's going to be on the field unless something goes wrong in the next you know few days. That's great news for the Gator offense. Oh, we knew a couple suspensions. Tease Tabor, Jalen Tabor, uh, Siante Lewis suspended, and then maybe possibly a mystery suspension too the, that Jim McElwain was unclear about. So that's the expected news. Uh, and also uh, Tyree Cleveland and Rick Wells, two freshman wide receivers, also both suspended. So given that we're large favorites, and we'll, we'll break down the UMass game a little bit later, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about sort of what people think Coming into this season, let's start with just the hype, as we're going to call it, the hype list. We're going to call it the hype list because Gator practices are closed to the media. They're closed really just about anybody aside from former players and a few other VIPs. No one really knows what's going on, so you're gathering this hype from the few things McElwain says or the few people the media like to talk about. But regardless, it's a kind of a fun list to look at to see if who's been making noise according to the, the sources that are out there. Uh, and so, Alan, why don't you walk us through this list? Let's start with the receivers. Who do you think is on the 2016 hype list? Well, one guy they're going to hear a lot about is Dre Massey, a junior college transfer guy who can play a lot of different positions. We'll probably see him on special teams as well. Really dynamic athlete, if not a little bit undersized. So tons of hype about him. Saw him in the spring game, played pretty well. Hasn't played against this level of competition, but a lot of – a lot of heat on him, as well as you know our big time re- recruit who's not playing in this game, Tyree Cleveland, freshman. Uh, we'll have to wait to see him. And the depth chart, which came out today, today's Monday, if you're listening immediately, and it will have been on Monday if you're listening sometime in the future, uh, has Dre Massey in fact listed as a starter. So they are expecting big things out of him. McElwain talks about him all the time in his press conferences, and a fun fact about Massey is that he's also a good punter. So he could potentially be a backup punter for us this year uh, in case Johnny Townsend goes down. Uh, let's let's go on to the running back position, which a uh, little bit more well-known players here, but there is certainly a guy with major hype, and that would be who? That's Mark Thompson. Actually, another junior college transfer. Enormous guy, similar build to Matt Jones, if you remember him from a couple years ago. And yeah, a lot of speed, a lot of... Uh, size, a lot of power. I mean, people talk about this guy. Every Anytime someone mentions him, they can't help but mention his size, just how freaking big he is. I mean, he, people are expecting big things out of him. We'll see if he can even crack the starting lineup. Who knows? Yeah, and on the depth chart, he's listed as a co-starter with uh, the Jordans. So he's he's right there ready to roll. We should see a lot of him, hopefully, in game one. Flipping sides of the ball to the defense before we before we head back and finish with the offense – Let's start with the defensive line. What uh, Booger McFarlane of SEC Network said was the best defensive line in the SEC and in the country. Who could surprise here? Who's who's worthy of preseason hype? A guy that, uh, that I think the staff likes a lot, who came along a lot last year, but he didn't play at all, is a guy named Jabari Zuniga. Kind of not a really heralded recruit, but a guy with a lot of measurables. And we'll see uh, if he can break through. And he's on... You know, everyone's radar. I think you could see big things from him. But he's a guy that apparently plays really well in practice. We'll have to see if that translates in the game. And then and probably the, the Gators' biggest recruit on the defensive side of the ball, Antonius Clayton. Big expectations for him. 
or have to wait a little bit. He's not even on the two deep right now that's listed. So I don't know how much time we'll see him, but there is opportunity on this team for a pass rusher to, to shine through. We'll see if he can kind of live up to that by the end of the season. Let's talk a little bit about the linebackers, a spot where we have senior leadership with uh, Jabari Davis and then obviously uh, Alex Anzalone. But then who who are we looking to on the hype here? There's a lot of freshmen in this mix. Who's who's getting the hype? A guy named Jeremiah Moon is a freshman from Alabama, uh, four-star guy, big rangy linebacker, apparently looking good in practice. Another guy who's a converted safety, Kylan Johnson, who you know you saw some in the spring game. Uh, another guy who's you know making moves and could see some time this year. I'm sure we'll play because we're so thin at linebacker. But those are two guys who a lot of potential. You know, again on the hype list because they haven't done anything yet on the field. Yeah, and we like we talked about last week. We employ a lot of two linebacker sets. So Jared Davis and and Anzalone, you would expect to be holding down the fort. But in pass rush situations, that's where I think those guys will see the field. Um, let's take a look now at the secondary, which is probably our best unit on paper with regards to top heaviness some really you know some stars there obviously with Jalen Tabor but uh, there's also a young guy that's generating a lot of hype and that would be who uh, that's Chauncey Gardner well you know top recruit a uh, guy who could really play everywhere on the field you could see him at corner at you know kind of nickel you know, covering the slot receiver you could also see him at almost either safety spot too so We'll see where the coaching staff ends up putting him by the time he gets later on in his career. But a guy who I'm sure will play because he's just so versatile. But big time recruit, um, and I, I think he'll get. I think we'll see good things from him because he seems like a guy who's going to come in ready to play. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball and talk just briefly about the quarterbacks. So obviously more well known, given I think the situation that the University of Florida's had for the past six seven years here at the position, but. If you could give anyone hype, and, and let's not use Luke Del Rio because he's the starter and he has plenty of hype, but a deeper hype guy, maybe a future hype guy, a down-the-road hype guy, who would you pick at this point? Well, I'd have to say Kyle Trask, a guy who unexpectedly played really well in the spring game, I think, for most people. He's a two-star recruit, didn't even start in high school, but you know, he's right in the mix with Felipe Franks, who's a big-time recruit who obviously looked really poor in the spring games we talked about. And I don't forget one, maybe the most hyped guy uh, coming in here out of nowhere, the offensive lineman, Juwan Taylor, who the coaching staff loves. They've been talking about this guy for weeks, uh, a guy they were recruiting and then told him, Hey, you need to lose weight before we're going to take you on scholarship. He lost a ton of weight, showed up here and has been kind of owning people. Cause he's just such a massive guy. And you know, a little lighter on his feet than you would expect. So he's a guy I think you'll see push for playing time. He's already on that too deep. Um, he's the backup at right tackle listed. So, you know, maybe a diamond in the rough that the staff unearthed in the recruiting process. So now that we've uncovered a little bit of the hype. Let's talk about our breakout players. We did this last year. It's a, uh, it's a good time. Brandon Powell was, was one of them. And that wound up being a really strong hit until the second half of the season. Let's see if we can uncover, a few breakout players early on this year. Alan, I'm going to start with you. Let's go one on offense, one on defense. Give me your defensive breakout player of the year. This is a guy who played a lot for us last year, but I think he's going to step into a really starring role, and that'd be Caleb Brantley, uh, our starting defensive tackle. Ton of talent, ton of quickness along the line. Uh, you know, I think uh, people think he might lead us in sacks just because of you know the pressure he can put on the quarterback from the middle which is really helpful in generating an overall pass rush 
So I think he's a guy who's going to move from starter, well-known guy to maybe all SEC, maybe all American type season. I think he has that potential. What about you on defense? I'm going to take Alex Anzalone, and it's kind of a weird name because he obviously was a tremendously talented guy at a high school. He's had a lot of injuries, and it's kind of led him to be, I don't want to necessarily say overlooked because whenever he's been able to play, he's, he's been on the field. He's been essentially a starter. But I think if he can stay healthy, we'll get to appreciate just how good this guy is. He has Jared Davis-like talent. Uh, he, he can really – do everything as a linebacker really outstanding cover guy great feet exceptionally quick and I think it will be a chance for us to get to witness two really really good linebackers at the same time if he can stay healthy so kind of a weird breakout player because he's been around for a while but I don't think he's had a chance to play uh, up to his potential given injuries so hopefully at the end of this year we'll be talking about what a great job he's done and what about your offensive player this is a this is a tough one for me. I know before the show we we talked a little, little bit about it. Okay, I know who you want to pick. You want to pick your boy Goolsby. Do you got the guts to pick him? I I do. I really do have the guts to pick him. For me, this is kind of a little bit of a cheap uh, pick situation because I'm going with the scheme that we run, and McElwain loves to abuse linebacker matchups, and so both the tight end and the slot receiver are going to attract a lot of. Excellent, excellent matchups in McIlwain's system. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go with Massey here, and and that's a total, total guess. But it's based upon the fact that I think Del Rio's arm is going to be well situated to quick, smart, cerebral decision making. I think Goolsby's a big, strong matchup, but I think a lot of the passes for him are going to be either flat passes or seam routes. Whereas I think, like we saw with Will Greer, the passes to Massey are going to be drag routes, in routes, little hitch routes, getting him in space, which are comfortable, easy short routes, should allow Massey to get into space. I'm going to go with Massey based upon that, but but it's hard for me not to pick my boy Goolsby. Who do you have on offense? Well, I wanted to pick a running back, but I really have zero idea who's going to emerge from this group. And, you know, hopefully they all play well, and maybe they just split carries, you know, 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. So I'm actually going to go with our aforementioned quarterback, Luke Del Rio, and I think he's eligible for this because he's a guy who I think most people are expecting him to come in and, and be at best competent. Like, if he can not be terrible, that would be good. I think he has the potential, maybe not to be like a Heisman Trophy caliber, you know, Deshaun Watson kind of player. That's what I'm talking about. But a guy who can put up a lot of stats and be really successful because of his decision-making, because of the way he knows the offense. And so I think he could have a really big season. I, I don't know that that's for sure going to happen, but I think that's a possibility. And I think if our offense really starts to hum, he's going to start getting a lot of buzz. Let's play a little over-under. Allen, very simple game. There's 14 teams in the SEC. I'm going to give you an over-under number on total defense and have you pick over-under. Two. Over or under? two out of 14 teams on defense in the SEC. So if I take the over or the under here, if I take the under, it's going to be one. I don't know that I can do that. So I'm going to have to go over because I, well, that's, that's tough because I think that they're going to be like three. So not like way under. I I mean, I like it. I think I'm going to take a push on that one. I'm going to, I like two. That's where I like them to be. So I'm gonna push on that, but it's an interesting it's an interesting bet. I think one, two, or three are the most likely scenarios for them. 
Okay, this one you're not allowed to take a push. I'm going to ask you about the offense. I'm going to set the over-under at six. So they'd be number six in SEC total offense. Ah, I'm, I'm cringing right now because six is the number that I wanted. It's almost like you knew that uh, I wanted to pick six. <sighs> Thinking through the teams in the SEC, just very quickly, I look in the SEC East and I think Tennessee should have a very good offense. Their offense should theoretically be better than our offense given the number of returners they have. So they're ahead of us. The rest of the teams in the East, I think that we should be better than offensively. So there's one and we'd be second. Going over to the West, little more wide open, little harder to predict. Old Miss should put up a lot of points, so you say they're two. Alabama almost certainly with ball control will. They're th- they're three, and I'm not ranking them in order. I'm just saying they're ahead of us. Then things get a little bit crazy. Four and five. It's really hard to see if we're going to be five, six, or seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take the under here at seven, but I'm very tempted to take five. I think six is the most likely one when I look at the SEC, but a, a few things here or there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take the uh, the under on that. How about you? I'm gonna take the under as well. I think seven is right where I would put it. Six is maybe our top end. Five feels way too generous at this point in the season for what we know. Okay, well let's SEC. Let me now ask you about some of our national rankings. Okay, some of these are very bad. So the Gators last year finished 100th in points per game at 23.2. So if I said the over-under at that, what do you got? Over. Absolutely over. The first half of the season, we were 45th, I think we peaked at, or 50th or somewhere right in there before everything kind of hit the fan. So, oh gosh, if if we're under that number... This podcast probably won't be on the air next year because I will no longer be able to tolerate <laughs> weekly <laughs> weekly analysis of the football team. But definite over on that one. What do you have? Oh yes, for sure over. I mean, if it's not over again, yeah, you're right. We're we're gonna be crying in our beers, I guess. But uh, yeah, hopefully way over. Let me let me push this one one step further. I'm gonna give you the over under of fiftieth total offense. What are you doing with that one? Hmm. I'm going to go under that. I'm going to go under that. What about you? I'm going to go over that. I think that we're going to be in the 40s, and I think the simple analysis is this. If Will Greer were playing quarterback this year, I would have us in the top 20 in offense. Uh, I think that given what we've heard about Luke Del Rio and without seeing anything about him, so this is certainly subject to change at the end of week two, the James caveat, I think that we can accomplish being in the 40s with the personnel that we have and McIlwain's ability to get guys open. So I'm going to take the over. So maybe a more interesting statistic, our yards per game, 335 yards per game. Are you going over or under that? that I, I feel like I could take 10 kids on campus, play quarterback, and get more than 335 yards per game on average, given that four or five of the games we play are against schools that barely play football. But <laughs> I mean, absolutely the over. I mean, if we don't get more than 335 yards a game this year total, including our non-conference opponents, then – Literally, McElwain will be on the hot seat. And I'm guessing you feel the same way. Yeah, agreed. I, I mean, I, gosh, again, we got to go over that. So I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know that this is going to be an offense that piles up yardage. So I don't think we're going to be as dramatically different. But hopefully we're going to score a lot more. Simply for the fact that hopefully we'll be able to make field goals occasionally. So points per game should be way over. I don't know if the yardage is going to be, like, astronomical, though. Okay, well, that'll be interesting to see. I would I would hope to see us in the high 300s as our yards per game, just primarily because, again, 
a lot of stat padding should happen. Let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. This this is a fun one. It's it's almost like playing the lottery here. 15 interceptions is what we had last year. Had a great secondary, 15 picks. Over or under? I'm going to go over. I like our guys in the secondary. I think we're going to see um, them capitalize on more than the guys did last year. I thought we should have had more interceptions last year, so I'm going to go over on this. This is this is a tough one. 15 just seems low. I agree with you. We talked about it last year, too. It seems like a low level of production. So given our defensive line, I'm going to take the over there. Speaking of the defensive line, sacks. We had 41 sacks last year. 41 sacks last year. Kind of hard to quantify that. You know, it's uh, several the game. Are we going to have more sacks this year? Less sacks? What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go under, unfortunately. I don't know that we're going to pile up the sacks this year. There's not a real dynamic pass rusher. This team could certainly go over that, but I'm going to go under that, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go under that because until someone proves to me they can rush from the edge consistently and then someone else proves they can rush from the other edge, it's going to be hard to get sacks. I think we'll probably have a whole lot of pressures, a lot of Dominic Easley-style right-up-the-middle pressures, but oftentimes those don't result in sacks. So I'm going to take the the under there as well. And as a bonus, last year both Bullard and McAllister had six-and-a-half sacks. Do you think anybody eclipses that individually this year? No. I don't think so. I mentioned Caleb Brantley earlier, and he could probably get to about that. I mean, if CC Jefferson has a monster year and ends up with double-digit sacks, I mean, that would be incredible, and that would take this team to a whole nother level. But I just don't really see that happening, especially with the amount of times he's going to be playing defensive tackle. Yeah, anything can happen. But like you said, I think when you look at the, the tackle situation, and I also think when you look at how teams are going to game plan us, I think very few teams are going to plan on taking five and seven step drops against us frequently. And that, that plays into your sack number. If you have a weaker secondary, a lot of times you actually accumulate more sacks because teams are trying to generate enough time to throw the ball against your weakness. That's not the case with us. So I just think even even that plays into it. So uh, I don't think anyone eclipses six and a half. And if they do, it probably most likely is going to be Brantley or maybe even a linebacker that emerges in in a, an aggressive uh, passing down situation that accumulates some in some of these smaller games. But either way, it should be fun to see how we compare to last year's total polar opposites, really good stuff on defense numerically and really bad stuff on offense. So we will keep track of that as the season goes on. And now we get to hear from a childhood hero of mine, Shane Matthews, a Gator great. We're going to get to hear him talk about this year's team, our quarterbacks, all kinds of fun stuff. Let's welcome to the show Gator great Shane Matthews, uh, quarterback from 1990, 1991, 1992, SEC record holder in multiple uh, accords, basically really changed the passing game in the SEC. He's now a Gainesville resident, uh, has a radio show, has a podcast, joining us today to talk about the upcoming season. Shane, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, guys. So with Luke Del Rio making his first start this week, in the swamp for the Gators. Take us back to what it was like for you. We knew that you came, quite the story, came from Mississippi. You were a fifth stringer, then you got your opportunity uh, under Steve Spurrier, and you also faced an opening game where you were able to be the starter. What's it like when it's finally your time? Well, you know, a lot of people gave Coach Spurrier a lot of crap, naming me a starter who had never taken a snap, and it's very similar to Luke Del Rio. He, he's played a little bit, but never started a game. And, you know, it was uh, – Coach Spurrier, he was under a lot of pressure, you know, being his being the golden boy coming back home. And, 
you know, we had a pretty decent opponent in Oklahoma State. And, you know, I, being a coach's son, I, I knew the pressure that was there. But Coach Furry knew how to handle quarterbacks. And, um, you know, I remember him asking me what play I wanted to start with. And I thought maybe a draw play or a running play or a screen. And he's like, shoot, no, we're going to throw it down the field. So, uh, four, you know, it took us four plays, and we scored a first touchdown of his uh, era. I love it. And so you're quoted last year as saying something along the lines that you thought Luke Del Rio was maybe the best quarterback on the roster and even better than Will Greer. What is it that you like about his game? Well, I did say that basically because that's what the coaches were hoping, that they could get the NCAA clearance. Uh, for Luke Del Rio to be the starter. That, that's kind of the only reason I knew that. Um, you know, I think if he would have been eligible to play last year, he would have been the starter. I, You know, I haven't seen him play in a game, obviously. I just, you know, the coach's son. Um, he's been in McIlwain's system for a while. Um, Nuss Meyer's familiar with him. He's not going to wow you. Um, he's not what these so-called recruiting experts look for. And, you know, his stature and arm strength. But what he does is he's accurate. Uh, knows the offense and knows where to go with the football. And all that, to me, is more important than arm strength. Yeah, what are you looking for from him in his first start? Like, what would you deem successful for him? Just go out and run the offense. He doesn't have to throw for three or 400 yards. Um, you know, he could throw for 135 yards and have a successful day. I think the biggest thing is, you know, how do you handle different type situations? Uh, do you complete all the easy throws? Um the last few years, we haven't had anybody complete the easy throws. And just just run the offense, relax, go out and throw completions. That's my – when I train young quarterbacks, I tell them the goal of a quarterback, the number one thing is throw completions. Don't care how hard, how great your arm is, if you throw it too hard or don't understand the, the tempo, the pace of the football on each, different, each kind of throw, it does you no good. So I think he understands that, and as long as he goes out and just – relaxes and let guys around him make plays for him, he'll be fine. Shane, looking at the offensive style of McIlwain and comparing that to uh, Muschamp and Zook, Urban, and Spurrier before him, what are some of the similarities and maybe differences? Is McIlwain's offense easier for a quarterback to run, harder than maybe some of those guys? Talk a little bit about that. Um, I think his offense, and, and I haven't been in meetings or anything or looked into the playbook, but just from watching it, it's very similar to what Coach Furrier does. It's more of a pro-style vertical passing game. Um, you know, when Zook was here with Larry Fedora, it's a lot of it's horizontal stuff. And then, you know, Urban was the more uh, run first, uh, one read, and if it's not open, run around and make a play. So, uh, you know, you, you look at the track record of McElwain's quarterbacks, they've all done very well. Uh, his guys at Alabama, then um, his quarterback at Colorado State, who I think now is playing for the Saints. You know, he's going to put you in a position to be successful, but the quarterback has to understand the system, understand protections. You know, you can't hold the ball long. I think, you know, a lot of people look at our offensive line, and, and they struggle at times. That's part of the game. But the quarterback will help them by making quick decisions and getting the ball out of his hand. What is it like, one, being a player under Steve Spurrier, two, being really the first sort of protege player under Spurrier, and then three – now Spurrier's back. What's his role on the team going to be? Is he going to have any sort of influence on Luke Del Rio, or is it going to be more of an ambassador-type role? No, he's an ambassador. That's it. He doesn't have anything to do with coaching. He'll go out and watch practices. Uh, you know, he's happy to be back and be a part of the Gator Nation, and I thought it was great that they brought him back. And He's happy right now. You know, he 
he goes and, and supports all the, the programs, regardless of what sport it is. Uh, he'll help with a little bit of fundraising. But, you know, he's, uh, he's his one of a kind. There's nobody like him. Uh, he changed the culture of Florida football, kind of changed the culture of the SEC. And uh, he'll always go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, speaking of your time there, do you have a favorite memory as a Gator player under the head ball coach? Man, I, I tell you, it just, you know, I enjoyed them all um, playing for him. You know, uh, he told me today, uh, looking through the record books, that I was the only quarterback that never lost a game at home. I was 18 and 0. You know, he said he lost, Danny lost, Rex lost, Tebow lost, but I never lost. So uh, I was like, great coach. <laughs> you know, it's just, he, under, he he realizes all those different records and things of that nature. But, you know, he's uh, he just he changed Florida football. I mean, um, he changed my life as well, and uh, I owe a lot to him. All right, let's talk a little bit about this week. Uh, could you give us a prediction for the game? I mean, obviously most people or everyone's predicting the Gators to win. Um, there's, a I think, a 36-point spread. Would you uh, Would you take that? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're going to outman UMass everywhere. Uh, I would say this, they're going to come in, they'll throw it around, and sometimes when teams throw it around, you know, they'll have a couple fluke plays or pass interferences that could cost you. Um, Florida will win this game big. Um, Hopefully it'll be a clean game, not a whole lot of penalties, delay of games, those type of things. You know, I think it's it's important for them to try to get off on a fast start. Uh, It's going to be – you know, everybody's always excited for the, the season opener, but it's even going to be even more special with them uh, putting Coach Spurrier's name on the field, which was well-deserved. But I think there's going to be a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement on campus Saturday. Shane, what's the over-under this year? If I put it at nine wins for the Gators, where do you find yourself, over or under nine wins? Mm, about right there, maybe over. Uh, with our schedule, um, you know, we're, I think we were fortunate. I think a lot of people say we were very fortunate to win 10 games last year. Uh, but this schedule is much, much easier. You know, they're all important. But, you know, having LSU at home is going to help. Um, going to Florida State will be tough. But, you know, we beat Georgia last year. We beat Tennessee last year. Maybe we shouldn't have. But we did. I think this team is going to improve as the year goes on. And I think nine or ten, ten wins is, is right on. Yeah, that's right about where we've found ourselves uh, looking at the schedule and, and taking a look at the team as well. Switching gears entirely, one of our favorite questions to ask our guest as a Gainesville resident, give me your favorite restaurant here in the Ville. Oh, that's funny. I don't go out very much. <laughs> um, that's a good question. There's a little Italian place over here near where I live, and I honestly can't – I don't even know how to pronounce it. I just know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the intersection it's out near jonesville um very good uh very good italian place um but you know i'm more of a stay-at-home kind of guy I throw steaks on the grill oh what's your what's your favorite steak to grill then i like all cuts of meat i kind of you know i kind of go and pick and choose whatever my son wants to eat <laughs> and go from there well, Shane, you're someone who holds a you know a dear place in a lot of Gator fans' hearts. Can you tell them what you're up to right now? I know you've got a, a podcast that you do and a radio show. Can you tell people where to find that? Yeah, I do a, uh, a radio show with Steve Russell uh, on ESPN Gainesville every Monday from 12 to 2 to recap the game. 
Uh, and then he and I also do a pregame show. I think it's three or four hours before uh, kickoff. And then um, I do a podcast with Brady Ackerman, who's a former player and sideline reporter for the Gator Radio Network. He and I do it. It's called the Gator Podcast on gridironnow.com. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I do. My my real – it's not really a real job, but I'm a volunteer coach at Gainesville High School calling ball plays. Uh, my son's the quarterback there, and that's the most important thing. That's what I focus all my attention on each week now during football season. Well, Shane, thank you so much. You can find him on Twitter if you'd like at SM9er. And, uh, you know, I'll have to say, Shane, you're one of my favorite players growing up, so I really appreciate you get a chance to talk to you, and thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate y'all having me. Let's focus our attention on our opponent this week, UMass. So a quick overview on UMass, basketball school primarily. With regards to football, they were an FCS school or a Division I AA school all the way up until 2012, in which they underwent a process to become an FBS school. They're early on in that transition, and it has been a difficult one, much like most schools that do it. So for the past four years, they've gone 1-11, and 1-11, and 3-9, and 3-9. And so not exactly a powerhouse with regards to who we're playing this week. However, an interesting team because they have a head coach in Mark Whipple who's got a lot of major experience and is generally known as a coaching guru. Yeah, do you expect them to be spunky at all? I mean, what is your thoughts on them showing up? Or, I mean, do they pose any threat at all to the Gators? Not a threat with regards to, to winning and losing, especially because they've lost so much. And so I think that's kind of where the story of UMass starts. Is Last year, they had a, a decently feisty team. Uh, they played Notre Dame really well. Notre Dame had a really good defense last year. And, and during 2015, the score was actually 21-20 midway through the second quarter between UMass and Notre Dame at Notre Dame. It was the most points the Notre Dame defense gave up all year in the first quarter. And the players uh, in Notre Dame afterwards had said they were ready for the offense, and it still confused them. So there's all sorts of fun names for Mark Whipple's offense. Some people call it whiplash or lots of smoke and mirrors type stuff. But it's, it's really very similar to McIlwain's. It's a lot of pre-snap formation trickery. It's not a lot of motion. It's a, it's a much earlier situation with, with the offensive line lining up in odd situations, tight ends being um, sh in shifting places, which, which really is – basically all done to try to confuse the linebackers and the cover guys as to who is assigned to who. And um, that's where it starts. And then from there, they run a lot of passing plays, primarily a passing team. But this year, a lot of that's going to be out the window. They've got a third-year guy, but a first-year starter in Ross Comis, who is going to be their their basically they're you know the first quarterback to enter into the game here at the Swamp. He may not finish the game. They've got another guy on the roster that was kind of challenging him. But he has no real experience starting a game. They've lost the top five of their six receivers from last year, including one that's in the NFL. On the offensive side of the ball, they've got a young offensive line. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, they return only three starters. So this is a shell of a team that went 3-9 and nine last year. On the positive side for UMass, excellent recruiting class uh, this upcoming year for them. They feel like they're going the right direction. But the reality is it's just a huge jump to come from Division One AA, even at a school like UMass, which is a perennial powerhouse in one AA, to the FBS. So it does not pose a threat to the Gators, but I do think you could see them move the ball. 
probably the best thing for Florida is it's a really complicated offense. It's a pro-style, complicated offense. It's very good preparation. This is not a team in the first week that runs a very simple offense that maybe smaller schools do. It will require the defense to play intelligently. So by that, by that account, it's a really good first-game opponent. Yeah, and you might see them move the ball a little bit. I don't know how many points they're going to put up, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they complete a few more passes than you know you would expect from a team who is that kind of record and losing that many kind of players. So obviously most people are picking the Gators to win this game. Uh, let's talk about what we want to see from the offense and defense. What are you looking for from the offense on Saturday? Our, our first look at this new squad 2016. We're kind of in the same situation we were last year, except this year we have a starting quarterback. What we need to see consistently is going to be a low penalty game. So we don't want to see false starts. You don't want to see mental error mistakes that so plague the must champ teams. You want to play clean. And secondly, you're going to want to see quality distribution from Del Rio. That's going to be key. Uh, the offensive line should easily be able to overpower UMass's defensive line. But in reality, the running game is kind of a given in these games. You're probably going to rush for 200 yards. That's not going to be a novel achievement. But the pass game is a better place to look. So can we complete short to intermediate rounds that are on time, that are in front of the receiver, and allow him to run? Or are we completing passes that are not on time, that are behind the receiver, that are losing out on the yards after catch? That's the main thing I like to look for early in these games. Are, are the passes we're completing, are they being made at the right time in the optimal window? And so a lot of it is a, is a style-based look at how the offense feels uh, versus maybe just a productivity standpoint, which can really lie in these early games. Yeah, I think we'll put up some yards and points. I want us to look like we know what we're doing. So I don't want to see like misfired passes, receivers running wrong routes. There'll be a little of that. But I want the offense to look in sync at least somewhat, uh, like competent, not a lot of fits and starts and penalties, and we don't move the ball on every drive, you know, and I don't know. I, like I said, I don't need it to necessarily be prolific where this is just, you know, barn burner. They're going to put up 60 points. Uh, but I do want it to look functional. And I want Del Rio, I think, to look comfortable. Like he knows what he's doing. He's got command of the offense and where he's going to put the ball. We saw Treon Harris last year look completely lost on almost every play. Had no clue where to go with the ball. I think hopefully if Luke Del Rio is going to be successful, he's got to live in that strength because he's not going to be firing bullets you know, down the seam. So I, I would like to see that. I would like to see all of the running backs look good. The offensive line get a push down the field. If they're not getting a push down the field against UMass, that's really bad. So it does almost doesn't matter the score in some sense. You just want the, them to look good, I think. Yeah, and, and right. And I think that's the flip side of the coin we talked about is the score can lie both ways. It can tell you that you did really well and it's a – smoke and mirrors Jeff Driscoll like opening game when everyone thinks oh my gosh this is the greatest thing ever we're going to be prolific on offense and then the sky falls down and the reverse is true as well you can have a low scoring game where you think oh my goodness the sky's falling but the style could have been different regardless UMass is so significantly overmatched on the other side of the ball that you would expect our offense to look competent like you said this should be a game where we score 50 plus points really probably 60 plus points uh, it's an extremely overmatched opponent on the defensive end. Given how much time Del Rio's had in the system, uh, you would hope that they would move up and down the field competently and efficiently. And if they don't, there needs to be a reason why, which could be weird fumbles or small mistakes like that. But uh, regardless, that's what is 
I think the most important thing to look for in these first games is, is like you said, how is the team functioning as a unit? Do they look professional or do they look more amateur? And that tells you a lot about how much the team has learned. Do you have a number out there in passing yards that you would like to see? I think we need to pass for over 300. Uh, I mean, I think this is a game where you need to have 500 yards of total offense, 300 passing, 200 rushing. That's just what you have to do in games like these. If you don't, I think you have to ask questions as to why. And, and if the answer is not you had a really short field the whole game, then it's probably the wrong answer. So I would say above 300 and, again, above 200 on the rushing side. Um, I think that's just something that has you have to do that in games like these. Okay, let's look at the defense. I mean, I expect this to be the strength of the team. Uh, what's the maximum number of points, you know, barring any kind of like special teams or offensive miscues, would you want to see them give up? This is a game where it's going to be fun, like we said, to actually watch the defense. A lot of turnover on UMass's side with regards to players, but they, they will run a competent offense. Mark Whipple was the coordinator at Miami. He was with the Steelers. He's put up a lot of points, 30 points a game virtually everywhere else he's been. He has not been able to do that at UMass, primarily because they're an independent and they play a brutal schedule. But they got a great running back. And um, Young, who's who's, who's going to pose a challenge for us, at, at least at some level. He's, he's a very athletic guy. So, uh, But in reality, they're completely overmatched, again, man-to-man all the way down the line. You would expect this to be a game where they would be held to less than 200 yards of total offense. Uh, for a defense of our caliber, if they want to really hang their hat on the game and say they did well, you're probably going to wind up holding them to less than 75 yards rushing and, and maybe 100, 110 yards passing. And that would be a that would be a solid day, I think, for our defense. Over 15 or 16 points, is that a failure? I think points is hard to predict, like you mentioned. If you're throwing out, I guess, all the weird things that could happen, a kickoff return, a fumble, or whatever. But yeah, if they scored 16 pure points on the defense without there being any assistance, that would be a failure in my book, uh, especially because UMass has so much turnover. I don't think the defense can really allow more than 10 if the starters are there. Now, if the game is 50 to nothing and they score 14 points in the fourth quarter at the end, that, that doesn't mean anything. So, right. But, yeah, I think a true 10 points would be something that you would allow. But anything more than that, I think you'd have to say the defense probably didn't have their best day. Yeah, there might have been a competition level kind of them letting up at certain points, either beginning of the game as well, and maybe we see them tightening down. Um, are there any other keys to the game for the Gators that you'd want to put out there that we haven't talked about? I think this is an interesting two-game set for Florida. They have this game and then Kentucky. Kentucky is, is also being overlooked, but they're uh, a somewhat dangerous opponent. There's a lot of questions surrounding our program right now that's been affecting us on the recruiting trail. I think that the coaching staff really wants to make an impression in this game. I don't think this is a, a typical first game where a comfortable coach comes out and says, hey, we're going to play who we play and we're just going to try to win the game. I do think they want to make a statement with this game. I think McElwain wants to make a statement with this game, that he is the quarterback guru and the offensive guy he's supposed to be. I expect this to be a little bit of a of a showpiece game with regards to the mentality the team plays with. I would be surprised if it wasn't. So it makes it a little bit more exciting than maybe your traditional first game. Should be a lot of emotion on the field, too. I don't know how these players are connected to Spurrier, but think the fans will be excited so that maybe will translate into some player excitement and momentum um i want this team to remain focused like i turnovers is obviously the thing you could probably talk about every week i'm not so concerned with that but it's more like the mistakes it's not like they give up the ball or something like that uh for me i i want to see uh some of the younger players uh some of the depth issues we have at certain positions, I would like those guys to come out and get some minutes, even though we're going to try to really 
you know, like you said, maybe put the pedal to the metal. I would like to see some of our younger guys get some reps, get some game experience. That's not a key to the victory, but it's maybe a key to future success for me. All right, so we usually like to predict a score. Maybe we'll let you do that in a second here. Uh, there's a you look at the point spread out there, varies, but it's probably about 36 points. Uh, if I'm giving you 36 points, do you take the points in UMass or are you taking the Gators? I'm taking the Gators. I'm a big motivation guy in these opening games, and I think we have a ton of motivation to cover this spread. Not that they care about the spread, but just a ton of motivation to really, really play well. So I think the score ought to be 60-something to teens, which easily covers the spread. Um, that's what it is in my mind. So as far as an official score, you know, let's go with like 62 to 13. And, and again, I think what gets tricky with these things is what happens late in the fourth quarter when the Gators are playing a bunch of freshmen and secondary guys and UMass is using it as experience to gain confidence for the next week. But that that's kind of where I'm at. But uh, what kind of score are you thinking about? I don't know if we can put up 60 points. I li- I'm, co- I'm covered about the offense, but that just feels like a huge number to me. Uh, I, I feels like we're going to be in the high 40s, low 50s. Um, and so I think I would actually take the points with UMass because uh, I think they might get some points late. I don't think the game is going to be close, and if it is, that does not bode well for us moving down the season. I'm going to say something about maybe 51-17. What is it? that even add up to 36 there? <laughs> Somewhere – I'll take the points, whatever it is. I'm not it a does. math major. No, so. you're, you're good, actually. You're safe. It's close. That's a close – that's a close. Well, it's got to be close. That's why they put the line there. That's you it. Know, they no, you're right on the line. The they, yeah, you're right there. You were right there. That's a solid score pick, and I think that's a win that most skaters would be perfectly happy with unless, of course, they uh, – they didn't take the points. <laughs> and I think there will be maybe a defensive touchdown there. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of like strip sack fumble or interception to help pad the the point total there. And so I, I think hopefully it's going to be something like that. Otherwise, there are going to be some crickets there, some noise in the system, as some people like to say. It was like if we win this game 28 to 10, it's like, ugh, that is not the kind of output that we're looking for this offense against an opponent like UMass. And let's go to our next segment. We actually got a really cool opportunity to talk to the UMass head football coach, Mark Whipple. Let's jump over to that now. Let's welcome to the show Mark Whipple. He is the current coach of UMass. He is a Super Bowl winner with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a former coach with UMass where he won a national title, and a Hall of Famer from Brown. Coach Whipple, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Well, you're really going digging deep for information. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good to be with you. So tell us about the state of UMass. We know that they've gone from being an FCS team to an FBS team. Uh, we know before you got there, they had won only a couple of games in two years, and obviously the transition is difficult. Uh, what's the what's the expectations going into this year, given that you guys have lost so many starters? Uh, just improvement, you know, and, and I don't think, obviously, our schedule's as difficult as it's ever been in the history of the school with three SEC teams and really five power fives on a schedule. So, um, you, you know, you can't really look at the record. It's just improvement. You know, I, I know that we we had a really good recruiting class, and that's proven out in in, uh, in the fall camp. We'll play with a lot of young guys, and, you know, we'll play them this Saturday night. So, um, you know, we got a little bit bigger and a little bit faster than we have been before. We're, we're almost, yeah, we're at the full scholarships numbers for the first time of the 85 so um 
you know, we're moving forward. You know, obviously not as quick as we'd like, but uh, there's only so much you can do. So, you know, this is a huge test for us, and uh, I, I just feel like we'll be a, a lot better football team come 10:30 on on Saturday night than we were when we walked into uh, to Gainesville. So, just looking for improvement, and I think we'll get that on on Saturday night. And like you mentioned, you, you play as an independent. You play a, a very difficult schedule. Uh, just looking at it is, you know, we at Florida think we play a tough schedule, but your schedule is about as tough as they come. Are the players excited to be able to get to play in games or they get to come down to a venue like the Swamp? Yeah, I, I think, the, the, you know, going to uh, the Swamp, it helps our, our, our preparation and the focus. We've had a really good camp. Um, I think the players understand me. It's been the third year, but... It's been our best camp. Um, guys are focused. Uh, we've had, you know, a really good weekend. The guys are uh, watching tape and getting things and, and uh, you know, asking some good questions about the plan on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, those things are good in there. And, uh, we've got some good leadership from the upper guys that teaching the young guys, you know, how it goes. Um, we spent a day at Foxborough till that one day just to kind of get them used to the road. Now going to the swamp will be different with 90,000, but you know, that they'll, they'll learn a lot and that's what you're hoping and just keep improving. Now we know that you're known as an offensive guru and a quarterback wizard, having coached Ben Roethlisberger and a host of others to lots of success. Last year, your offense was tremendously successful. Uh, this year, of course you have, you have Ross Comis coming in and it's going to be his first start. And uh, is it difficult to prepare a quarterback at this stage when you've come off a year where you really had everything gelling and now it's sort of like you're starting over? Well, Ross has been here for, for three years, and uh, that, that'll be something different than I haven't had really since Ben. And, and you know, whoever coaches Ben is going to be a good coach. So it's the same. So it, it really has more about the personnel, but uh, – and not since I coached Ben his third year in 06 was that I have a guy in the same system for three years. So I think you can talk at a different level. Now, Ross has played last year, but he practiced quite a bit last year when, when pro was, was banged up um, and got a lot of time and, and played well in the game. So he's not – I wouldn't look at him as a starter as a guy that just walked in here like pro did a couple of years ago. Um, the guys around him know the system. Now we'll we'll miss Tajay Sharp, you know, who's starting for the Titans now. So that that's a big loss. But um, we've got some some people that have done some good things in in the past, and uh, um, some guys that have played a lot of football. And I'm excited about some of our young young guys. So I, I think Ross will be fine. It's, you know, he, he, as I said, he didn't flinch at Notre Dame, and you know, I'm sure it'll be louder at uh, in Gainesville. But um, you know, uh, I expect good things from him, and he'll just he'll just get better the more he plays. Now, Coach, your offensive style noted generally as pro style, a multiple formation style, a lot of pre-snap um, essentially changes or switches, which seems similar to McElwain. How did you come about that style? How did you decide upon that being the style you wanted to run as an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach? Um, I was in the United States Football League in the early 80s, um, and so really a lot of the past concepts were taken from Roman Gabriel. And, and Sid Luckman, Sid Gilman, those guys, that way old. And then when I went to the NFL we, uh, with Pittsburgh and, and uh, Philadelphia, a lot of the things that we did with the Steelers and the teaching part are, are used. And then and the same with the Eagles in the past game. So kind of combine those two 
really kind of probably three systems into one when I went to Miami and then, um, you know, just kind of played it from there. So it's kind of a hodge, I guess a hodgepodge, but just different concepts from different people and trying to fit them to your personnel. So, you know, each, each year is going to change and Ross a little bit different. Our receivers a little bit different and, uh, you know, but still kind of, it's kind of more like maybe a pro spread um, with trying to be balanced and, we ran the ball a little bit better last year, but uh, um, that's just kind of where it's come from. It's kind of not, not anybody's, you know, how we call it with some of the things I used to do when I was in college and some are what I did in the Pittsburgh, some of what we did in, in Philadelphia, some of the terminology is the same. So it's, it's um, I don't know what you'd call it, hybrid. So if we complete passes, it usually works. <laughs> you complete a whole lot of passes and you throw the ball a lot as well how much of that work is done pre-snap by the quarterback is is it mainly a pre-snap read offense with smaller post-snap for a college quarterback or are you putting a lot of burden on him on the the post-snap well reads? We, we try to use you know the hard thing with it with playing a florida is is you know we'd like to use tempo but we we most importantly want to win the game and you know i think ah, we can't get in a shootout with them um so we'll mix and match. We'll, we'll we'll give a bunch of different personnels and and try to match up and try to get our best players in the right position and get them the ball, um, whether it be a run or pass. And certainly, uh, same thing up up front. We'll try to use a lot of linemen. We'll probably play we'll play eight or nine offensive linemen. Um, you know, we're gonna some tight ends and just mix and match, kind of depending on what we we see. So. Um, you know, obviously, being being a, the hardest thing is the, the silent count, and and being down there makes it a little bit diff, more difficult on an offense. So, we've been practicing with that, but um, you know, just to kind of do our thing, not really worried about. You know, we we want to know what Florida's doing, but uh, they just try to play fast and be efficient and and take care of the football. I, you know, if we have a slew of turnovers in the first quarter, it'll, it'll be ugly. So, try to get out of that first quarter in in a, in a game where our guys, I think, will settle down come the second quarter, but just can't get down 17-0 or 14-0, which is a concern because if you make a mistake mentally or physically, you know, Florida can take it to the house. And kind of, I'm sure our guys remember what happened in the Notre Dame game at the end of the half was kind of the same thing. Yeah, and in that Notre Dame game, the score was uh, 21-20 at one point. I think you guys have put up more points on them than have been put up in, in the recent era on their defense. So we know that you can put up points in a hurry. Uh, lastly, as a general question, how has the state of football as a whole changed? You've obviously had an illustrious career. You've been involved in pro and college football. Is the game and the players playing the game today different than they were 20 years ago? Um, I, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's not. The practices probably are not as – first of all, the athletes are, are in much better condition. You know, the game's year-round now. Especially at this college, at the college level, there's no very little vacation. Um, you know, you got your summer workout. So that that's that's a huge change. You know, guys weren't. I can remember in the '70s when I played, and you know, I was from Arizona, and I went there. You know, Arizona State had guys in the weight room and stuff, but not like everybody's here now. So I think that the uh, demands on the players are a lot more um, than it than it was. Obviously, the the that, that 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 would be one thing. I think that you know. I think everything's better about the game. I think the kids are the same. You know, I can remember a high school coach telling me they 
kids are the kids, you know. They may have more tattoos and a few more rings in their ears or their nose, but it, they're 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 the same. I, I, the kids are great, and uh, you know, that was the best thing, whether it was in the National Football League or or one A football or one double A or Division Two. It was the players and trying to teach those guys. So I think it's in a good state. I don't look at the whole thing. I, you know, um, you know, I know that I'm as excited as I've ever been. And I think our players are, so that's great. Trying to teach them life lessons. And, um, you know, I think going to Florida will be, a uh, you know, something that they'll remember the rest of their lives. Hopefully, uh, you know, and, and learn a lot from it. So that's kind of what we're trying to do in our program is to, is to grow young people to become leaders in a community and, and across the country. Well, Coach Mark Whipple, thank you so much for joining us. We obviously wish you the best of luck this season as you continue to guide UMass uh, with their FBS transition. We look forward to hosting you here in Gainesville this Saturday, and we certainly hope that there will not be a tropical storm awaiting us uh, at game time. So have a great week of oh, practice. Yeah, they were saying. I haven't looked. Is that yeah, that's, yeah, the latest update today is that Friday night could be, a, a, you know, no one knows, right? These projections are completely unknowable, but it could potentially flow in Friday night, and it would just be a lot of rain. But that's happened before here in Gainesville for a first or second game, and it's, it's never really a whole lot of fun. Yeah, no, I've been in Miami, so. Yeah, you know all about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Mark, thanks well, again. Yeah, we can tell we can, they can move the game up here to Amherst anytime. <laughs> yeah, the weather the weather's a lot nicer up there than it is uh, here right now. I can assure we'll you. We'll be that. glad to host them Saturday. Okay. <laughs> thanks so much, Mark. We look forward to hosting right, you. See you, James. Bye. Yeah, bye. Let's close the show with a little segment here. But before we do that, James, we've got some cool stuff coming up on Thursday. Tell everybody about that. So Alan and I will be sitting down with Stuart Mandel, uh, a very prominent an important and influential sports journalist in the world of college football. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, you can check out his stuff. He used to write for Sports Illustrated. He has since moved on now to Fox. Uh, at any rate, he's going to be joining us, and we are going to be talking about the huge slate of games that's going on this weekend. It has been called the best opening weekend in the history of college football. A sampling of the menu this weekend. Notre Dame versus Texas. UCLA versus Texas A&M, Oklahoma versus Houston, which I know Allen will be watching uh, with a very, very close eye. Yes. UGA versus North Carolina, where Lori Fedora has North Carolina sort of into a quiet, strong force up against the uh, sitting on a bonfire Kirby Smart. Then we have USC versus Alabama, the Lane Kiffin Bowl, which just should be wildly exciting. Clemson and Auburn in Auburn? What an opening game for Clemson, right? I mean, you've got... Whew, You've got high expectations, and you open up the Gus Malzahn team where Gus may not be around at the end of the year. So intriguing storylines there. And then finally, you have Chad Kelly, the greatest quarterback in college football, self-proclaimed, versus the Florida State Seminoles who are breaking in a new quarterback of their own. There's so many good games to watch. It's borderline unbelievable that it's all happening in opening weekend where none of these teams have played a game yet. So we are going to talk about that with Stuart Mandel. We are also going to get Stuart's thoughts on the Gators. Should be a really fun time. That's going to be coming out this Thursday. We're calling it episode 2.5. Uh, you'll be able to pick that up either streaming or by subscribing to the show. Of course, subscribing to the show is the easiest way to pick up listens. You'll never miss an episode. You can subscribe on iTunes, any one of your podcast handlers, whether you're on a Droid or an iPhone. It's the easiest way. So if you find yourself streaming it on the computer, it's time to upgrade your life by subscribing to the show automatically. You'll never miss a beat. You'll never miss some of this good content.
Let's close with a little special teams talk. We haven't done that yet. Play a little game here. So, as we talked about before, our wishes have been granted, and Brandon Powell is not returning kickoffs anymore. He's the backup. Fine player, not his strength. Dre Massey will be doing that. Do you think he'll have a kick return of over 50 yards, yes or no? Since I picked Dre Massey as my breakout player, <laughs> absolutely he will. And that's a completely a guess. But, I, I mean, our special teams was excellent on punt return. I have no reason to think that our kick return isn't something we're trying to improve on significantly this year. So, yeah, I think we're going to get one of uh, 50 yards. The only problem is we might only get two kickoffs. So, you know, the numbers are against me. Yeah, I'm going to go no just for that. I guess I'm a Debbie Downer. I'm going to say no. The next one, Antonio Callaway, our star, will he have a punt return, TD? Now, this is the opposite. So, me being a numbers guy, of course, I just hung my stuff on a hope for the fun of the game. But this one, Callaway, if they let him return all the punts that happened in this game, could easily return 10. But they won't. He might return two. I'd say probably at most. So, I'm going to say no. Again, if they let him return all 10, I think he would. But I'm, I'm going to say no due to the fact they're going to limit him. You stole what I was going to say. Yeah, I don't think they're going to let our star player return too many. They'll get a few for him just to get kind of loose. But I don't think so. Yeah, they are going to punt a lot, hopefully. But I don't know if Callaway is going to get a chance to return all those. Our much-hyped kicker, saver of our season, Eddie Pinero. How many field goals will he make? And it, give me a, a number. Is he going to do two out of three? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think since this is a showpiece game, as I'm calling it for McElwain, there's so many things he wants to get right. And kicker is absolutely one of them. And look, this is a guy that he drove around the city of Gainesville with, posted a few Twitter photos with, personally recruited. He wants this bad. You better believe he's going to take a chance to kick a 50-plus yard field goal at some point in time in this game. In fact, I would not be surprised if the score is right to watch us throttle down in the third and three or four so that we almost don't get the first down. So he has a chance to do this, and the crowd's like, oh, my gosh, we're saved. With that being said, I expect him to, to probably kick four. I bet if they could pregame it, they'd want him to kick maybe four field goals, get him some college work. He's never kicked in a real game. Um, I, I want to say he's probably going to miss one of those. That's my thought. So three out of four would be the case. I think that's probably because they're going to have him kick a bomb or two. Uh, but I'd say three out of four. And as far as extra points go – we should have maybe six, maybe seven of those, and I don't think he's going to miss an extra point. Well, I'm right there with you. I was going to say two out of three. I think that he probably kicks one really far um, from a big distance, and you know the, the odds on that, I don't think he'll miss any extra points. If he's as good as we would be, that, that shouldn't happen this year. You know, a good kickers maybe miss one all season, and it's usually not in crutch time kind of a thing. So uh, I'm going to go – Perfect for Savior Eddie on extra points. And with that, that closes out. Look for us on Thursday with Stuart Mandel. And then uh, the next pod will be on Tuesday. Let everybody celebrate Labor Day. And we'll be back at you on Tuesday to talk UMass, to look ahead at Kentucky. Guys, thanks for being back. This is the pod. We'll talk to you soon. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.